committed Laker from the beginning. He liked, loved the Lakers. He knew, loved everything about the Lakers, purple and gold. And he was a committed player. Now you see his life even, it turns out, he becomes part owner of the Lakers, and he's probably going to be a Laker for life. I can't see him going, doing anything else, in basketball at least, other than being part of the Lakers. And he said in the 80s, during the prime height of his career, you know, he could never see himself wearing the green uniform. I remember Sports Illustrated had a had a um, like hypothetical thing. They, in the front cover, they had Magic Johnson in a Celtic uniform and Larry Bird in the Laker uniform. What would happen if these two switched places? And now my answer is Lakers would have been worse, right? But what would happen? And he said he would never see himself in a Celtic uniform. So if you're a true Laker fan, you know. You can't like the Celtics, right? And it's true, like, those of you who are Bruins and US, it's like, those of you, if you're a true Bruin, you could never root just because they're the home team, even if the, uh, the UCLA isn't in it, you can't root for them, right? A true Bruin fan. A true Laker fan could never, I just don't even like, I'm a Laker fan for life, so 30 some odd years. I don't even like the way Paul Pierce looks to me. <laughs> Kevin Garner, they just look like, kind of like alien-like, <laughs> strange-looking people, right? I don't know why, but just they just don't look right to me. Anyway, they're committed. Like, you know, again, London local sports team, Tommy Lasorda, he said, if you cut Tommy, he said, I'll be bleed Dodger blue. He's a life Dodger. He's a lifelong, he's been, he was drafted by the Dodgers, he played in the minor leagues, uh, he played in the major leagues, then he coached their minor league team, then major league team, he's not one of the VPs, and he just goes on and on, right? Well, what are things that are you committed to in this life? And look at your life. Look at our lives. Examine our lives. What are we, what are we preoccupied by? What do we spend most time on? What do we truly pray for? What does the heart truly long for? What is, how does it flesh out? Right? I think... In terms of the church, church is a precious, precious institution. I think it's um, outside of marriage. I think one of the greatest graces of God that God gives us. One another's here. I think one of the greatest blessings God gives us is the church. It is the local church we belong to. Many people, though, unfortunately, even inside the church and outside the church, feel that church is outdated. It's past its time, right, and obsolete. The church is no longer necessary for a Christian. And it's a very unfortunate thought. Charles Spurgeon said this of his, his local church. He says, it's the dearest place on earth. I think doct- understanding the doctrine of the church is just as important as understanding Christology. To understand Christ is to understand church and vice versa. I think those two are forever intertwined and can't separate the two. Right? The individual individuality of Christianity or individual faith is foreign to the scriptures. And furthermore, Jonathan Lehman says, Western, Western, Christian, Western Christians have a weak and anemic 
conception of the local church and its role in a Christian's life. And George Barna did a study indicates that 17% of the adults in the modern evangelical churches say that their faith, the person's faith, is to be meant to de develop mainly through the involvement of the local church. Only 17%. That's an amazingly low number. Amazingly low number. If I had to guess, I thought it'd be a little higher. Right? And Don Whitney calls in his book, the, to contend against this privatization of spirituality in our modern day. You know, privatization, privatization of Christianity has very little regard for the communion of body, communing with God, or fellowship with the saints, as this relationship becomes God and the church, and becomes more important for God and, in, and the individual. It's interesting. When God created the heavens and the earth, right? God created the heavens and the earth. He created the stars. He said it was good. Created the heavens, it was good. He created the earth, it was good. Created the sea, it was good. But this is God. This is before sin, right? This is before sin entered the world, when things were perfect on this earth. When God created man, he said that wasn't good for him to be alone. Now, Adam communed with God, fellowshiped with God in a sinless world on a cool of the day. But God said that wasn't good right? for Adam to be lonely. And a very interesting, um, I think, observation. So in a way, if we look back to us many years later, what does the local church mean to you? Is church a building, a place to go on Sunday, just people to meet, or just to resolve our loneliness? Right? John Stott said, if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both ministry, and seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God has taken so seriously? I think in the modern Western world where individuality is more revered, and it's a phenomenon that is probably 75 or 100 years old, right? You know, you see, you know, my wife and I visited our home. My wife, until we went back a couple years ago to Korea, we've never been, she has not been back in 30 years. I haven't been back in 25 years. Went back to my hometown, where my father grew up, and that's where some of my aunts and uncles live. And they all got together because they knew we were coming all over Korea. Well, all over Korea, Korea one into another, it's about 260 miles, so it's not that big, right? So they all got together. It wasn't, and we went there, and like people come, they wanted to meet us, and like people in the town because they knew my father and my grandfather, they wanted to meet us. And these people live like they share everything. You know, my aunt had a like a liquor business. Internet liquor business. And my aunt in the old Korean countryside had a liquor business. And my cousin set up an internet thing. They said, like, well, these people come and they're just handing it out for free. There's townspeople and they give it to relatives. Everything is just shared. It's kind of weird. Like, it was kind of their priority to share. You know, we don't think like that. When people come over, it's not my job to give them 
have them them coming into my house is sort of intrusionary anyway. So can they kind of owe me a favor? In a Western society, we think like we don't think of a priority. If I have something to share with them, so it's like almost rude to let your guests leave your household with empty hands. In a Western society, we don't think like that, right? We don't think like that. So this is the stuff that they sell in their business, right? And they make money off of it, but they're just giving out for free to people they know because they're your guests. So this communal thought has gone away. And this is why so even the church has infiltrated the church where it's more individuals rather than the community, a body of believers. And Bible calls the church what? Body of Christ. And I'll explain that more as we go. And one passage that I love, I think it crystallizes what Christ values in, um, in the church and how much he values is Matthew 16, where he has a dialogue with, with the disciples. And who do you say that I am? And, Paul sa- and Paul, Peter says, you are the son of God. And Christ says, that my father has revealed to you, this to you, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not come against it. Right? And Christ said, and this is the institution, only institution Christ promised to build and the gates of Hades will not come against it, that he will protect it. That he promised to protect and to build. And he promised that it will triumph. Right? He promises that it will triumph. So he puts a great value in the church. The church is not a building. Belt Intermediate School has no meaning to us. Besides, it's a place for us to meet. But you, filling these seats, means something. Right? And I'll explain that a little bit more. In 1 Peter 1.18, it says, It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed with the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. This organization, which is more of an organism, exists because it was bought with the precious blood of Christ. No other thing in this life, on this earth, was bought with the precious blood of Christ except the church. Right? Except the church. Church, in the church, the co- only common denominator is Christ. Like any other, unlike any other organization on this earth, much many organizations on this earth is usually commonness found in the things men desire, right? We get together for different reasons, or maybe there's like golf organizations, right? Oh, men's eyes just perked up. So people play golf for themselves, right? They don't try to advance the game of golf, like you know they want to make it better. No, they want to play golf, right? Or bowling leagues. They want to bowl meet their loneliness. It's for themselves. Most of the organizations, like these political organizations, they have charities. A lot of times, it's for themselves, right? People give a lot of, like, there are a lot of philanthropists. They give money. What well, they need tax write-offs, right? You know, they do that because they have a lot of money, and they otherwise, it would go to waste, and it's PR, public, public relations image thing to give, right? It's for themselves, but unlike any other organization, church is the result of the gospel. By the grace of God, it began at the point where 
Christ died on Calvary. Who is our Savior? That on that rock we are built on His promise, His promise to build and to protect. And we are to, we are a mechanism, a tool, a vessel to communicate God's manifold wisdom, the heralding the message of the gospel, the saving message that gives hope to the world. We are that peace. The missions is not done by individuals. Missions is accomplished by various local churches. Churches send missionaries. Missionaries don't go themselves. That is God's grand design. Jonathan Liedman in his book, again, was at the, I think we have some more in our resource ministry. He was at the retreat. I picked it up there. And I started reading that. It says, it's a church. This crystallizes that for me. Church is the continuation of Christ's incarnation. So closest thing you want to see to Christ on this earth, who's no longer physically present, but at the right hand of God, is the church. We are to embody and enflesh our Lord to this world. There's no other vehicle, there's no other likeness of Christ than the church. No individual could embody Christ more than the church, collectively. That's what it means. That's my sermon, but it's my conclusion is a little bit longer. Okay, I have a three-point conclusion I'd like to share with you because it is the most precious institution on earth. It is Christ. Church is a Christ manifest manifestation and Christ's love for us, and He promises to build. And there are three things I'd just like to share with you. Is that um, it is precious because it's the bride of Christ, number one. Number two, it's irreplaceable. It's wholly unique. And then number three, it's a majestic building that God is building. And we've all heard this in Ephesians chapter 5, number one. It is the bride of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. Right? So wives, be subject to your husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be uh, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle as no such thing, that he should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. Okay. You know, picture this. Those of us, how many of you are married? How many are married in here? Raise your hand. Oh, men, men, men only, I'm sorry. Men only. Okay, how many have been married five years or more? Okay, five years or more. Ten years or more. If you laugh, right? 15 years or more. Okay, two of us. <laughs> right? My wife and I had our 19th anniversary this year. Nin- last week. Last week, by the way. 19 years, right? And I still remember. 
19 years. It's pretty long. Mark, how long have you been married? <laughs> What's that? 20 years. Mark and Nicole, congratulations. 20 years. But I, I remember, I think Mark will remember. He plays it off that way. But, but all of us remember. Remember, you know, it's a, it should be a magical moment. And shame on you if it's not, right? When you're at the altar and the doors open or something opens, you know, however it happened, and you see your wife in her wedding gown with her father walking down the aisle. And those few moments are like magical moments like men capture in their hearts. And again, shame on you if you forgot, right? <laughs> but it's a magical moment. It's one of the graces of life when you see your bride coming down the aisle. And you'll we'll never forget it, right? We'll never forget it. And such beauty, there's like that, I don't know how to describe that, right? There's kind of the words don't do justice to that moment in one's life. Well, folks, you know, our wives has, have, has a lot of value. But to Christ, we had no value. We were defiant. We were angry. We were rebellious sinners. We were dead to the core in reality. Yet, Christ loved us. Loves us to the point, as men, as you stand there and watching your bride come down the aisle, that's how Christ views the church. And imagine that. He doesn't see a group, an organization, that's just full of sinners. But because of the cross, he sees the beauty. And he promises to build and to protect it. And that's Christ's view. That's why we're the bride of Christ. Because one, Christ gave himself for the church. He gave himself for the wife. You know, Christ didn't do it the way men do it today. He paid it all. To be Christ, the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ, means not only that Christ chose us before the beginning of time, before the foundation of this world, He knew us by name, He chose us, and He promised us to build. Not only that, He regenerated us, and He's sanctifying us today, when we were dead in sin. Now, we were orphans, worse than orphans. We were dead creatures, tattered, rolling about, who knows? Nothing to offer. But to save us and to build us, Christ on Calvary, that was the work that was done was He took us in. And He sees us as that bride coming down the aisle. To, uh, to Christ, we are that beautiful. Why? It's nothing in us. But through our faith and the work of salvation that was done on Calvary, he sees us that way. Number two, again, we were not attractive. We had nothing to offer. But because of Christ's love, we were beautiful. We are beautiful. Again, 
Because Christ loved us, he picked us orphans and brought us into his family. It was his love. So if you take a child, an orphan, those of you adopted will know, if you take a child, a child who barely got any love or no love at all, if you pick up that child and provide love, that child will reflect that love and grow beautifully. If you t- take care of that child, give, provide love, place to stay, feed them, in whatever ways that you love them, they'll become beautiful. Or at least minimally better than where they were before. It's a process, but they'll become beautiful. And that's spiritually what's happened to us. Spiritual orphans going nowhere but condemnation, yet Christ provided that. His love provided the beauty. It's not was Church is not beautiful because it's generated by ourselves, by our own holiness, by our own, own works in our ministry. What we do in the church, no, is because of Christ's love. Christ did not choose his wife in a way where because we were beautiful, we were attractive, we were intelligent, we had things to offer, that we were um, capable of anything else. No, that's purely under the love of Christ. So therefore, to love back, to, to love Christ on this earth is to love the church. The continuation of his incarnation is a church, and to love him is to love church and the people in it. John Stott said, On earth, she is often enraged and rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day, she, meaning the church, will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spot or wrinkle or any other disfigurement, holy without blemish, glory, um, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has also been working and is continuing to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present herself to himself. And that's the true picture. We have nothing to offer, nothing beautiful, but it's Christ doing all the work. It's kind of, we can't grasp this because it's, as humans, that's not what we think of, right? We love things that are already beautiful. We don't think about making someone else beautiful to sacrifice them and then loving her. But Christ, it's his love and it's him doing all the work. Therefore, we've become. It's the bridegroom doing the work for the wife. Number two, it's irreplaceable. It's the most unique institution on this earth. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have the great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and the bodies Wash with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, as is the habit of some, and encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church is a congregation, not an aggregation of people. All our lives touch. All our lives mean something to one another. It says here, we are to love, that we are to stir up one another to love and good deeds, confessing to sins to one another. The key is the one another. We mutually affect one another. We mutually build up one another. There's a mutual expect, um, aspect rather than individuality. Right? Rather than individuality. C.S. Lewis said this, Christ's work on us through the church and through one another. We are carriers of holiness to one another. You know, growth and spiritual growth and maturity and Christ-likeness happens through this community of, of congregation of, of the body of Christ. We come to the presence of God and we have access, unlike before where in the Old Testament when people go to the holy place and sacrifice an animal and to have, our, to have their uh, sins cleansed, we could do that. We could forgive one another of sins. We could confess sins to one another. Because Christ is our mediator. That we are to spur each other on. It means to irritate one another. When two things rub, there's collision, there's violence, or there's friction. We are to do that. Speaking love, truth and love. We speak to one another the truth. If there's a flaw or a sin, we need to confront that person in a loving way. More importantly, love. So that they're built up. Because when they're built up, when that stone gets stronger, we're all getting stronger as a church. And we're accepted here in the church. Right? Through the difficult economy in the last couple years, how many of you have been on a job interview in the last, okay, let's go wide range, in five years? How many of you have been on a job interview? A job interview is one of the most difficult things in this life. Right? It's a very unnatural position. Right? It's, you go to a job interview, what are we doing? What are you doing? We go there, we're selling ourselves. We're trying to tell this organization that I'm the best person rather than the 500 others. I'm trying to sell myself. It's a peculiar position to be in. But we have to prove ourselves. It's a very nerve-wracking thing at times. Right. So what happens is a job we really wanted, and we get a call after going to maybe two, three, four interviews, and says they call you and said, we'd like to offer the job to you, and we'd like to have you join our team. What happens? What is the feeling at that point? It's exhilarating. It's good to feel needed and wanted, needed and wanted in an organization that you want to be a part of. You're accepted, right? And human beings have this feeling, right? But in the church, it is unique because we're all accepted. We don't come here with our own credentials. We don't come to church with our resume, spiritual or otherwise. 
only thing we come with is forgiveness of sin and uniqueness is Christ. We're accepted by the blood of Christ. And we, although wages of sin is death, and we ought to be forsaken, but because the blood of Christ, we are not forsaken. We are accepted. And lastly, the church is in a majestic building. We're all building blocks. There's two passages I want to talk to you about. Ephesians 2 and uh, 1 Peter 2. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, whom you in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. You know, basically Ephesians 2, from verse um, 11 on, Paul talks about how we are brought into the body of Christ and we are one in it. Brings individuals into organization. is the church. Then, what he says in verse 19 on, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, aliens, who would never get together if, were, if it wasn't for Christ. And there are people here but, that will never get together outside of Christ. Right? Never come on a Sunday or any day for that matter to join together in a common worship of our Lord. But because of Christ, we do that. It's unique in that way because of the cross. We are not here because of gender, race, or any other interests. But we are a unique place here because we are here because oh, it's the work that was done on the cross. And so you can't, you, because businesses usually exist for one purpose only, right? To be profitable, right? Unless non-profit business, those are not really businesses, but they're different organizations. People get together in this world. They're organizations for a different purpose. And church is unique this way. Wholly unique. But Jesus, interestingly, is he, Christ says, um, Paul says here, is that the Jesus, we're talking about Cornerstone, right? We are Cornerstone Bible Church. So we're going to focus on two passages that talk about Cornerstone. That Christ is the Cornerstone. And we are separate pieces of that structure. And the key piece is the Christ, who is the cornerstone. Right? And it's building. You have to remember that rather than individuals, as a whole, we are more valuable to Christ. You know, it's kind of sad... You know, this, you hear this a lot, right? You know, if you believe in yourself, or something goes like something, if you believe in yourself and you dream it, you could, it could come true, right? Like, you know, I always say, that's absolutely not true, right? People say that a lot in this world. I wanted to become a Laker. It never came true. I thought I worked pretty hard at it, to a point, right? But I, I figured out that I wasn't going to be, right? And many of you in this room, I can't think of one individual. I mean, I think there are many of you in here who would like to be a Laker. 
Right? I don't think there's one of us that has the capability of being on the Lakers. Right? Now, can you imagine? I thought it was nerve-wracking for Sasha to take that free throw in like with seven seconds to play. Can you imagine one of us taking those free throws? Right? That'd be like crazy, right? So it's, that's the individual mentality we have. We could do anything as a person if we decide to do it. It's kind of sad that people would even think that way. That's, that's so individual. Where people are living what? For personal own good or personal own happiness is the most, utmost thing. Right? In the Western thought, most Western thought, it is this. But there's, it's flawed. It's flawed and it is wrong and it is based upon oneself. I think Christians' maturity stops when we think like this. When this takes root in our hearts and it grows and takes action. Right? One aspect of being a Christian is understanding that we have a greater authority, greater purpose than ourselves, our feelings, or our own happiness. This is the mainly it points to the Church of Jesus Christ. First of all, human feelings can't be trusted. Human feelings can't be, uh, human desires can't be trusted because we're selfish, we're sinful at the basic level, right? How many of us want to lose weight, and how many of us like ice cream, right? Like. Man, like those 69 cent McDonald's ice cream cones are just magic sometimes. <laughs> right? Especially when the weather is hot. But I want to lose weight. <laughs> I even got one this week with uh, you know, my blood sugar. I'm off now insulin. My blood sugar is doing well. My A1C is down to like 6.1. So I treated myself this week. So Sarah, you understand, right? A1C, that's pretty good, right? So... I was feeling really good. My blood sugar was a little low. That's my justification, right? So I got ice cream cone, and this time I got it with dipped chocolate, right? I haven't had one of those in a long time, right? It's like, but I wouldn't lose weight at the same time. So my point is, our hearts can't be trusted, right? And how many of you sympathize with me, right? Most of you do. Right? That's in a very simple, basic level, but that's how we are. That's how we are. Therefore, a Christian on his own, living in an individual, even a Christian lifestyle, is not what God intended us to be. We are spiritually incomplete that way. Although we are saved individually, we grow. We don't stand individuals, but we are meant to stand together. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come into him, and come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, living stones, are built, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay, a st- lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, a stone 
that the builder rejects had rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness in his marvelous light. Once you were not a, pe- not a people, but you, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In, the, in all this, Christ is the cornerstone of the church and he must be the cornerstone of our individual lives. In that way, we build up the church. We build up as Christ being the cornerstone and us being other living stones in that building. But in, sometimes in opposition, in an opposite way, something else is a cornerstone of our lives. We have other functional saviors in our lives. When chips are down, when it's difficult, maybe you lose a job. Do you trust in your resume more than Christ? Right? Do you trust in your abilities more than Christ? Do you trust in your husband more than Christ? Is your husband, your job, your letters behind your name, your education, or your income level, or those are cornerstone rather than Christ? For, Because a building, we're intricately tied. If every stone is stronger, the building is stronger. But to the degree that we make something else our cornerstone in our own lives, we can't make that to that degree the building is weaker because the cornerstone in the church is weaker. Because we prevent Christ being the true, from being the true cornerstone of our lives, then in a way it affects our church. And people, we are forever intertwined as body of Christ's body, as Christians. We are interdependent. We're forever codependent. We are reliant on one another. You know, think about this. Many people come to church. We are all, again, in that building. Think of the building. We're all in that church. You know, we attend service. We may attend uh, prayer meeting. Maybe go on a missions team. Maybe take some classes. Maybe you serve in those missions team. Maybe you serve in those classes. Maybe you serve in different capacities. But let's say you're removed. Remove that one stone that is you. Does it crumble? Well, first of all, there, is there no effect at all? Well, that's not good, right? Well, if you take your piece out, does it crumble? Well, that's not good. But what's worse is you think it's going to crumble, and it depends on me. Well, there's two ways to think about that. Is one, you think about it in a very prideful way. That's me, right? You don't crumble without me type of attitude, right? Or you said it'll crumble, therefore I must be faithful. So the right reaction is I need to make Christ more of cornerstone way he ought to be in my life so that that peace is stronger for those who are dependent on my role. Okay? It's not a um, false humility thing that people are dependent on. We are. We forever are. 
A Scottish pastor named Roberts wrote this. He says, Fellowship between Christians is a gift of God. It is true means of grace. Christians are spiritual people. They feel comparatively isolated in this world, but God gives them this compensation. What is that compensation? It's the fellowship they enjoy with like-minded brothers and sisters. You know, when Paul wrote the Bible, right, because his role, even today, we people look, women look at Paul as being a, um, um, today, a ultra-conservative. In those days, when Paul wrote that about women and their roles, he was a liberal. He was a liberal. Right? Women having their own conscience, not being treated as property, he was a liberal. Now, the Christians and their views, if you're a fundamentalist, you are an ultra-conservative, neo-conservative. So Christians are always outside, isolated, outside. Church is always isolated outside of the mainstream. Well, because we are the royal priesthood. We're a holy nation set apart. That's okay. Right? But remember, within the boundaries of that structure, we are forever intertwined. Everyone matters. Every structure matters because everyone involved, if you move that stone, it'll weaken that building. Right? In a different way, sometimes I don't even know. Because that side of the building, I don't know what's going on. Right? Now, some of the members of the church, I apologize, but I don't know everyone's name, every member's name anymore. Right? The church is too big, and I'm getting too old. Right? <laughs> My short-term memory goes. Right? It's just, just life. <laughs> but that's, that happens. But we are forever in, intertwined. Okay? Let me give a couple examples. Right? And it should be this way. If Dan and Mina, if something, God forbid, happened to Mina, okay, Mina was no longer here. Dan is going to raise his four kids by himself and to still fulfill his role in the church. Right? That will affect, guaranteed, that will affect Dan's ministry, his pulpit ministry, and every other worship ministry will not be this good anymore. That be thou my vision one of the, my favorite ones, it'll be not that good anymore. I don't know how bad it'll get. But I don't want to think about how long bad it'll get. But it'll affect his ministry and life. That marriage is int- intricate to you and my spiritual growth and my likeness to Christ. I am dependent on that that way. I am dependent on James that way in Syrian. So you ought to pray for them and James and Syrian. Maybe you should pray for Syrian and Mina more because when they don't get fed, they become angry pastors, right? And it doesn't have help any of us, right? But it's, they affect them that way. You can't take that lightly. But it, that in a marriage situation, but then in a church situation, how will you affect one another? I may not know. James preaches, Dan preaches, I preach once in a while. And some of you are blessed. I have no idea that you are. That helps you to become a better Christian, closer to God, that you have greater love for Christ, I may not know. That's okay. But if you're blessed, great. Then you pray for me. Then we, That's how we build up one another. We are forever intertwined that way. So, But then also, another aspect of it is like Sam, right? I'm, I'm just throwing names out there, people I see. I just pick on people I see. Like Sam, I see. I, there's things that I appreciate about Sam. I don't know what they are right now, but I appreciate <laughs> Sam. Let's think they are. There are things I appreciate about Sam, I truly do. 
appreciative about Sam, and then, but then someone else may never see that. But it doesn't matter that you don't see it, but I'm encouraged. That helps in my ministry, my walk with God, brings me, my love for Christ grows by that, and he encourages me, and he sharpens me, spurs me on. That's what we do. Just because you don't know what Sam does and you don't see any value in him in being this church, <laughs> doesn't mean, but he's body of Christ, part of this cornerstone body. It's intricate and important. Right? So we're all important to one another. And I hope you're seeing my point. Right? Now I said this before. I don't think Christian can be truly a true stone, a strong stone without one another, without being in the church, being a vital member of the church. Also, I think Christians can't be, we are limited in our saltiness without the church. Severely limited. Right? Severely limited. We are encouraged. You know, this week, I was encouraged when I sent the email regarding the sermon. You know those little bulletins we have? I can't ever remember not having a bulletin on Sunday. Someone, some guy, some gal is printing those every week, or is in charge of that every week. And they come out every Sunday. Right? There's an absolute deadline for that. Right? Church begins, it's got to be there. So I appreciate Chris and the publishing ministry who do it faithfully. How many of us are thankful and pray for publishing ministry? But these guys do it every week. I'm thankful. Their setup team, praise team, pebbles team, they do it every week. Well, honestly, I don't pray for them, but they're such vital. Can you imagine all these like 70, 80 kids running around here like wild? We can't worship. It affects our spiritual walk. We are forever dependent on one another. You know, Folks, I am absolutely convinced of one thing. That is, Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. And the leaders in this church are very ordinary. Right? Very ordinary. We're not leaders because we're better Christians than you. Right? We're just Christians. Probably may have and probably have more flaws. But we're just, God has in his plan... Why did he choose Paul, fisherman? I mean, Peter, or Paul, who persecuted Christians? God's choosing. Same with us. Right? But we're just forever dependent on one another that way. God allows us to serve this way. So whatever role we have, whether publishing, setup, or pebbles, whatever we have, we are all intricately tied to one another. We just have different roles. Yeah, right? Different roles. And for Lakers to win, Kobe was horrendous. Ron Artest had to hit that shot. And Sasha had to rub his eyebrow and hit those free throws. People had to do their roles. And you needed every single point in that game to win. Right? We need every single individual, every single member to glorify Christ. So the cornerstone could be the most God-honoring church that we could possibly be. Let me just leave you with this one last thought, is that the greatest model for someone who lives 
not for his own happiness, not for his own desires, not for his own fulfillment in this life. There's no other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have this individual mentality. He had a greater good, greater purpose. And our greater good, greater purpose is the body of Christ. In Philippians 2, he talked about that although he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took on a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and found in a human form, he humbled himself to be obedient, to obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? When they were crucifying him, when he had nails in his hands, when his nails driven to his feet, he had a crown of thorns on his head, when he pierced his side, he could have said, Man, this is really not fulfilling for me. I'm out of here. But he had a greater purpose. He saw, I'm, I'm becoming more than scripture here, but he, he saw, you know, I'll stand before God and be judged one day. But I believe Christ saw, even when he asked his father to take this cup from me, but he said, your will, but not our will. But I believe he saw what many men saw on our wedding day, the bride coming down the aisle. That is us. He saw the church in its full glory, what it could be. Uh, redeem people. That if he did this, that we would be saved and we would be beautified. No longer tattered. No longer rebellious. No longer not wanted by anybody. No longer dead. But he saw the beauty. And he that's why he's the ultimate example of what sacrifice, a purpose, living for purpose beyond ourself, beyond our own desires, our own purposes that we want to accomplish, but he saw. So my encouragement is this, that we would see that beauty in the church, that we would see one another that way, that we would build up one another as living stones, that we are all the same stones only one that is critical is the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And that we build up one another to that degree and that we live as if. And then individually, then, in turn, we live putting Christ at the cornerstone of our very lives and the life of this church.